turn in a copy of God's Word to Luke chapter 1. Over the next four weeks of Advent, we will be looking at uh, Luke chapter 1 and the first bit of 2 as we prepare for the coming of our Lord Savior and His second coming um, in real time and space history. It's coming soon. We we also have these banners uh, that will be um, providing for us our theme of each Sunday. And if you've been paying attention, you'll have heard the word hope a lot in the service today. And that's our our theme of um, our sermon as well. Before we read from Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 25, let's go and ask the Lord for His help. So Lord, we do ask for Your help. Send Your Spirit that we might see and understand, hear and know. Lord, change us in this moment by Your Spirit. We pray for Your anointing of the preacher and hearer alike. It's the name of Jesus we ask it. Amen. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years." Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. For your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the, peop- for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized he had seen a vision in the temple And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, 
And for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Have you ever met someone in dire need of hope? Nothing seemed to be going their way. It kept piling on. And their life was full of darkness, turmoil, toil, trouble, pain, and hardship. Perhaps you are here now. or Perhaps you can think of a time recently where this described you. We need hope. We're introducing this passage to a couple, not a young couple, but an old couple. A couple who needed hope. Barrenness, not plenty, was the theme of their song. They were a godly couple. Indeed, in verses 5 through 6, we are introduced to them and nothing negative is said about them. Luke is very careful to say only positive things about Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah was a priest and both were declared to be righteous before the Lord, blamelessly walking before Him in all of His commandments and statutes. This doesn't mean that they were perfect or somehow had earned their salvation. It just means that they were a godly couple. They loved the Lord. They were a vitalized couple. You've met these folks, right? And you just look at them and know that they, they love Jesus. This was Zechariah and Elizabeth. On the outside, all looked good. But you know, you've ever seen a movie where you get halfway through the movie and you realize everything's going all too well? And you realize that something's got to happen in the 45 minutes that you have left. Well, here are the shoe drops. All the good things we've heard about Zechariah and Elizabeth, and there's a very important word here, is the word but, and it changes everything. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. What a, what a blow. They were barren. They had no children. They had gotten married in the full expectation and hope that the Lord would soon bless them with not just one but many children. Children are a blessing from the Lord. There wasn't anything wrong in their lives. There's nothing here that, to which we could ascribe. This is why you're barren. It doesn't work like that. Barrenness is a tough thing. One, I think, that we don't talk about enough. Years of prayers and prayers and prayers and fasting and prayers. And the only thing to answer was barrenness. But there was more bad news here. Because not only was Elizabeth barren, she was also advanced in years. According to the flesh, from nature's way, I hate that phrase, nature's way, by all outward observances. This was not a prayer that was going to be answered. The way of women had passed with Elizabeth. She was no longer able to bear children. She was barren, and now that season of her life was over. Added to this was the social stigma of being barren in that day, of not having heirs, not having children. It was seen not just as a hardship, but sometimes some saw it as a judgment from God. Now that's just not true. Let me, let me tell you that. that it, if you've struggled with barrenness, that's not a judgment from God upon you. But it was seen as such in that day. 
There would have been murmurings over the coffee table, sideways glances in the marketplace, unspoken attitudes that would have prejudiced others against them. They were barren and they needed hope. They needed hope. It was dark. But you know, their barrenness was mirrored here only by the barrenness of Israel, God's covenant people. When we think of the Jews and their condition in the world of this period, it was one in which much hope was needed. We're introduced in verse 5 to Herod, king of Judea. It's not just telling you who's on the throne at that point so you can uh, find this in the history books. It's so that you know what's going on in their world. Herod was an evil, evil man. Now he did much public good as politicians like to do. He even helped rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. He had great public works built and great palaces and folks loved him for those things. But do you know he was mentally unstable, suffering from paranoia, even to the point of killing one of his wives and killing two of his sons because he thought they were about to turn on him. This is the same Herod who would soon seek to kill all the male children under the age of two in the effort to get rid of one child because he felt threatened by the arrival of a new king. This was an evil man. And Israel, God's people, Israel was suffering. Since the 7th century B.C., they had lived in a land that was no longer theirs. It had been promised to be theirs. But after one successive uh, invader after the next, they were living under the oppressive thumb of conqueror after conqueror after conqueror. Where was the Lord? It is in the midst of barrenness, in the midst of hopelessness, that the apparent silence of God is the hardest to endure. When things are going poorly, when things are going upside down, oh Lord, have you forgotten your promises? Have you forgotten your presence? Have you forgotten that you said you would be with me wherever I may go? And added to that, it had been 400 years since God's people had heard from a prophet. 400 years. Longer than America has been up and running. 400 years. They had the word of God, praise God for that, but they had not heard, thus saith the Lord in a long time. They needed hope. What about us? We need hope as well. Some perhaps more than others this morning. We need hope. I think we can look at this in a couple different ways. First, we all have sources of need in our lives from lost loved ones to problem at work, from hard marriages to depression, from chronic illness to problem with children, from broken trust to scars from the past. We need hope. But fundamentally, I think, as we think about the purpose of our text this morning, there's a greater need here in our lives as well, and that is that we need hope to deal with the problem of our sin. We are guilty before the Lord because of our inherited guilt from Adam, and we have added to this guilt by our actual sins that we commit because we are sinners. We need freedom from sin. The Jews needed freedom from the first century oppressors of God's people, the Romans. But their greatest need and our greatest need is that without the shedding of blood... There is no salvation. There is no forgiveness of sins. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. We need help. 
We need hope. But I sure am glad the text isn't over because hope's announced in this passage. There's hope all throughout this passage. And there's hope today for you and for me in Christ Jesus, not just in salvation, but in the ongoing presence and ministry of our Lord and Jesus, specifically through the Holy Comforter, the Holy Spirit. We see in verses 8 through 7 that hope is first announced to Zechariah and to Elizabeth. Zechariah is a priest, and we find him serving as priest in verse 8. Now the way that it worked in those days is because there were so many priests in the line of Aaron in the tribe of Judah, uh, sorry, Levi, Levi, there were so many that not everybody could serve all the time. So they did two-week stints twice a year. Two-week stints twice a year. And you'd go and live in your hometown, wherever it was in Israel. And then two week, twice a year for two weeks, you'd come and you'd serve in, uh, in Jerusalem and serve in the temple. Now, the thing is, you needed a lot of priests. There was a lot going on in the temple courts. But the big leagues was getting to go into the temple itself. There was a lot of work in the temple courts, all the sacrifices, all the singing, all the tithes, all the offerings, all ministering to God's people. There's so much. But you only got to go into the temple one time in your whole entire life. Think about that. As you go to the temple to serve this time, as you're walking from home, you know that they're going to draw lots when you get there and decide who's going to get to go in and serve this time for two weeks in the holy place, inside the temple. Do you think it's a coincidence that this time it was Zechariah's turn? I don't think so. They pulled Zechariah's number from the hat. He would never get to do it again. It's a one-time thing, once in a life. Lifetime, And when he, he went in, and it was his turn to present the incense before the Lord. So before, in the temple, you know, you had two rooms. You had the Holy of Holies, which is where the Ark of the Covenant was. And then you had the Holy Place, which is where the showbread was, and the, and the altar of incense was, and the, and the candelabras were. And he went to the altar of incense, and he put the incense there, renewed the incense there, stoking it up, stoking the fire. And the smoke rising and filling the whole temple symbolized God, the prayers of God's people to him, rising in front of the holy of holy places, right in front of him. And he would have taken the horns on the edges of the altar of incense like this and raised his eyes up to the heavens and prayed on behalf of God's people with the incense filling his face with smoke, shielding his eyes from the glory of the Lord. And he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed. And bam, there was an angel of the Lord. We learn it's Gabriel later, most likely. Is Gabriel here and, and he says, Zechariah, the Lord has heard your pleas. He's heard your prayer. And guess what? Elizabeth is going to have a baby. And you're going to be really excited. Great joy and gladness is going to bring you. Can you imagine after all those years, had he kept praying for a child after the way of women had passed with Elizabeth? I don't, I don't know. All those years of praying in a way that God only gets the glory. God says, I'm going to answer your prayer. You're going to have a baby. You're going to have a baby. You're going to call his name John, and he's going to give you a lot of joy and gladness. What great news. But there's more here. There's more here. Because there's not only hope for 
Zechariah and Elizabeth, that'd be fantastic. But there's much more here, which is even better for you and me and for all of Israel. And we learn it in 14, and 7, 14 through 17 here, where the angel tells uh, uh, Zechariah, this is not going to just be any baby. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. He's going to be a Nazarite. He's not going to drink strong drink or wine. He's going to be dedicated to the service of the Lord forever. He's going to be a prophet. He's going to be a prophet. We, we read in our call to worship this morning, Isaiah 41 through 8, speaking of one who would come and prepare the way of the Lord, speaking of a, a promised prophet who would come before the Messiah. And here it is. Here is John. He's coming into the world to prepare the way of the Lord to make um, ready a people prepared, the text says. This would have immediately jogged his memory and everyone else's, Malachi 4, 5 through 6. The last verses of the Old Testament. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers and their children uh, to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. And lest I come and strike the land with a degree of utter destruction. After 400 years of silence, soon was coming the forerunner, which only meant the Messiah was on his way. There was hope announced. But there's hope also announced for us. This isn't just a a pronouncement of hope for the people of Israel or Elizabeth and Zechariah. There's a hope for us. The light of the world was coming into the world. And though the world would not recognize its creator, for those who believe in the promised Christ, the promised Messiah, he gave them the right to be called children of God. Christ came into this world to give us hope. Hope even in the midst of barrenness. Even hope in the midst when things seem hopeless. He doesn't always remove our problems, but he gives us his strength and his presence. My friends, God offers you hope in the midst of hardship, light in the midst of your darkness, joy in the midst of your gloom. What would be the response to this hope? You know, not everybody responds to the same news in the same way. Now, you've, many of you have been through Hurricane Ivan in 2004. Um, I went through the, the last little bits of Hurricane Katrina at University in Tuscaloosa. And... Um, you know, we were expecting to be out without power for several days, and, uh, and we're expecting bad tornadoes. You know, there, there were 25,000-some-odd students at Alabama at the time, and, and everybody responded differently. I think about the five people that I lived with in a house that was soon to be condemned, not because of tornado damage, but because of all the mold. Uh, but rent was $135 a, week, a month. Um, I think about those five of us who lived in the same house. We all responded differently. Uh, when the when tornado sirens went off, Jake was upstairs watching television, and it wasn't the weather. I'm sorry, Sphinx. Uh, Alex and I were in the furnace room under the house, praying we would not die. Robert was on top of the roof, fixing a hole that had been punched in it by uh, a, a limb. And my other roommate was at a party. A lot of different responses to the same announcement of a siren of a tornado. How do we, how do they respond to the announcement of John and ultimately Messiah? Zechariah doesn't believe. He says, how shall I know? 
How shall I know? And if we read the southern version, we read between the lines, Gabriel says, look you dummy, I am Gabriel. I am Gabriel. And I stand next to the Lord. And I've been sent to tell you this. And because you didn't believe, you're going to be deaf, dumb, and mute. We know he is deaf. Because in the next chapter, or at the end of this chapter, we learn they had to make signs to him so that he would be understood. They would, he would understand them. And so for nine months, he can't open his mouth. He can't go tell Elizabeth, hey, honey. Elizabeth, however, believed, and it brought her great comfort, verses 24 and 25. How it is, we will respond varyingly. Uh, many would be turned to the Lord. But many, many more would turn away from the Lord. When John would begin his public ministry, many would come and repent and turn their hearts back to the Lord. Many others would turn away from the Lord and mock the last prophet of the Old Testament, John the Baptist. What's our response? What's our response? We're not responsible for their responses. We are responsible for ours. And I can think of two responses that we ought to be concerned about this morning. The first is the initial response of the good news of Christmas. The Christ has come into the world. The Christ, it's not a last name, it's a title. The Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, Emmanuel, the Prince of Peace. He has come into the world. And He's come into the world to save and to seek lost sinners like you and me. He brought us the hope of salvation, the sure and certain hope of salvation, the sure and certain hope and assurance of of forgiveness of sins. Our hearts were a barren wasteland in their sin and iniquity, but Christ was coming into the world to fix that. How have you responded initially to this news? Have you responded and sought His forgiveness and eternal life from Him? This is what we celebrate at Christmas. Not just something sentimental from the Hallmark Channel, but the coming of God in flesh to this world to save you and me. But for those of you who are believers this morning... How have you prepared yourself for the season of Advent? If, you, if you're like me, Advent has snuck up on you. Never in my life has it come this quickly. I don't know what happened. I feel like it's still August. We just had the back-to-school bash, and now it's here. And maybe all you can think about are all the presents you've got to do, and your, and your schedule is a disaster. If you look at your calendar, I mean, you're trying to find somewhere to breathe, much less sleep. But it's like that every year. Let's, let's make 2017 different. Let's not wait till the Christmas Eve service when all the presents are wrapped and bought to finally take a breath and think about Jesus. Let's do this Advent right, where we anticipate and look forward to his, the celebration of His coming and pray for the day of His final return. Because one day he will return at a second advent. And at that point, our faith will be sight. And our prayers will be praise. And our hope will be complete. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Amen. Lord, we thank you for the hope that you have brought us in Jesus. Lord, as we um, embark on this season of advent, calls the hope of Jesus to swell up in our hearts all the more. Pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.